All right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome Science back. in between. Yes. This is Scott. And this is Ollie. And this is episode 90 something or another. I don't know. I lost count. At 93, some point. man. 93. 93. Look at that. I feel huh. like you, you're the guy that keeps track of the numbers because you're the one that cares when those special number friends of yours appear. Special numbers? I don't even special, know what you're talking about. Special, special lady number, friends? I don't special, know what special number numbers friends? you would be talking about, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is, it, I feel like it's been, you know, we're off our recording schedule a little bit. Like, you know, it's summertime. And so we're doing, mm. you know, we're doing our recording when we're able to. And so we've been, I feel like I've missed you, friend. I feel yeah. like it's been a little bit of a time between the last time we chatted. So I think that's probably true. Yeah. So here we are reconnecting. After it some is time great. It is, yeah. it is great that we are re- reconnecting with all of you, not even with the, just with each other, no. but with everybody out there too. With our massive following and yes. yeah. yeah, hundreds of people. Hun, 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 yeah. Hundreds. Dozens, at least dozens. Yes. And so today we are going to talk about, uh, how school leaders, principals, superintendents, uh, supervisors, those kind of folks can support um, next generation science standards, like how that's going to maybe change the work that they do and change the way they see classrooms and the way they um, maybe observe what teachers do. Um, Because I think I told you the story that like uh, I had a principal once who came in and he's like, oh, I was going to observe me. And he's like, oh, I'll come back when you're teaching. I'm like, "Uh, well, (laughs) buddy, you're going to you're going to be missing a lot. I hate to disappoint you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's the that's the thing. Right. If if they walk in and they don't, you know, if a principal's or a supervisor or somebody's coming into your classroom and we're employing these sorts of science instruction, you know, strategies that uh, it's going to be very different from what they're expecting, right? Or yeah. at least what they're maybe their own life histories, you know, are looking like. And they're going to yeah, come in or, with a, a perception of what science instruction looks like. And, and that might, that's probably not what they're going to see if their teacher is employing, you know, these sorts of strategies, these discourse-based, you know, explanation-based uh, you know, phenomenon based science. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, it's, it goes to also a thing that we've talked about a lot is, is their funda- fundamental um, theory of learning that they bring to the classroom. Right. So most, um, most teachers full stop have a certain notion of how people learn. And, you know, my experience is that building principles tend to carry that forward. Um, and so, or, or superintendents or whoever, right? Um, they they tend to have um, have a notion of learning a, as a transmission rather than a relational sort of activity. And you know, if if you have that sort of a model, you have certain expectations when you walk into a classroom. You expect there to be somebody at the front of the room. You expect that person to be talking about whatever the subject matter is. You expect the kids to be attending to that person and on task with their notebooks out and their eyes forward, right, on the person teaching. Um, And, you know, I mean, science, one advantage I think that we have in science around this issue, because I think a lot of disciplines are trying to transform pedagogy in the way that science is, like to make it more relational and more dialogue and discourse uh, heavy, but it, it, I think in science, one of the advantages we have is that we have a, a long tradition of the lab, right? Which, which does break with that sort of model in the sense that there are, um, you know, kids 
doing stuff without the teacher at the front of the room. The kids are in lab groups, the kids are doing stuff. So I think, and talking to each other. So I think that's one advantage that we can build on with when, when we're talking to, to building leaders and, and superintendents and, and central office leaders is to say, look, you know, you know, you know, science is different than many other topic areas and has this sort of lab component where kids are working on investigations. Well, these new forms of pedagogy just build on that. They're, they're extending that notion of kids engaging in investigations. And they're, and part of what that means is kids are going to be talking to each other even more than they were before, right? Back when we were doing labs. Yeah. And, and there's going to be a lot less, you know, of these, you know, canned, you know, worksheets or canned, you know, uh, verification labs or, you know, the stand and deliver type of instruction that they, you know, some of our school leaders may be accustomed to. And so, you know, I know whenever, um, you know, principals, depending on their, you know, the background and and leadership, you know, they do these look fors, right? They have these, you know, they come through a checklist and they do, you know, the quick uh, walkthroughs and they do, okay, I'm looking for these things. And we have to make sure that they're looking for the right things, you know, because if they're looking for, you know, a well-controlled classroom with teachers, you know, standing in front of the room giving, hey, here's the essential question for the day. And, you know, here's a, a guided note-taking, you know, no. worksheet. Yeah. And I mean, which, you know, there are some models of, of teaching that that's the thing that they're taught to look for is like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, they have, you know, these graphic organizers, they're going to help the kids take notes and they're going to help, um, you know, they have uh, word walls with all the words on that. And, and, and that's not the type of pedagogy that this, that we're proposing with this next generation standards. Next exactly. So I think, yeah. So I think what we need to be thinking about is, or what, what those walkthroughs need to look like, uh, not what we need to be thinking about, well, but what those uh, those observers, those supervisors, whether they're uh, principals or assistant principals or whoever, department heads, whoever are doing this kind of work, right, is um, they need to be looking at what kind of kids' ideas are present in the classroom, like going around and listening to kids. like uh, So not listening to the teacher. The teacher shouldn't be their focus of attention because that the teachers shouldn't be the focus of attention when they're not there. So they're, they need to pay much more attention to what the kids are doing, what the kids are saying, how they're talking about science. And then secondarily, how the teacher is supporting that. Like, what is the teacher doing to make that environment um, more comfortable, more productive, more focused on explaining things, Um, but not, not control, not not, uh, you know, are there kids who were out of their seats when they weren't supposed to be? Um, cause you hopefully want kids excited and moving around and doing stuff. So, but I think that that first shift is that fundamental shift towards what are you going to attend to where you're going to attend to the ideas of the kids in class. And you're going to be listening to, to hear, to hear not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it. Are they, are they being, are they making evidence-based claims? Are they trying to think through and reason through these phenomena and using both their own experience and things that they've learned in science class? Like, the, you know, you can start to think about what would you want a, a, a 
teach, uh, an observer to look for in a science classroom. And it, it isn't really that hard, at least to describe. Now, helping, helping them develop this sort of professional vision, they need to see that and what it means. I think that's harder because it's, we know it's hard with science teachers. And one of the things I was thinking about as you're talking about it is that uh, you know one of the things that one of the tools that a lot of administrators use to guide their uh, you know their observations and their assessments of teachers, at least in Pennsylvania and probably some of our neighboring states, is the Char- Charlotte Danielson model. And I was wondering whether you know did somebody do a like a, sort of like a crosswalk or mm-hmm. you know something where they said okay here's what you know, how the Danielson model and all the different, you know, aspects of the, you know, the Danielson model um, compares to or relates to or maybe gets morphed with some of the markers. And I did a quick, you know, search and there that animal already exists, which I think it can be a, a useful thing for, you know, school leaders and also for teachers in, in terms of, you know, okay, how do you create a, a learning environment for, uh, you know, students or what does that look like, you know? Because there are certainly benchmarks in the Charlotte Danielson model. And again, I have reservations with Charlotte Danielson, and I know you do too. And I would think if we had Charlotte Danielson on, you know, she would, she would also share in that. Cause I think this is another one of those situations where the, the thing, the tool becomes the thing where it takes over. And it's the only way we talk about, you know, assessing teachers anymore. However, I think it can be still a valuable tool whenever we're trying to, teach school leaders what to look for, because um, it does spell out pretty clearly, hey, these are the things that teachers should be doing at different levels. You know, and again, I, I, I also don't like the, the levels, the hierarchy of, you know, oh, these are proficient teachers versus these are distinguished teachers and all that. Right. But, um, but I think it helps to, you know, uh, clarify some of the, you know, expectations of teachers, or at least what we should be looking for as we right. go in. And uh, to think that somebody, and this is, I think, coming from, and I'll put this in the show notes, coming from uh, someplace in New Jersey, um, yeah. like maybe the New, New Jersey. New, Jer- uh, New Jersey State Board of Education. So there oh, you maybe, go. Maybe not. No, that may not be where it is. Sorry, it's from Achieve in New Jersey, which Achieve was the organization that helped uh, develop the NGSS. So they must have been an extension of that work. So, yeah. So I don't know whether it went in your conversations, this is probably, you know, you know, several thousands of miles down the road from where your work was, but um, at some point, this has got to be a conversation in our state too, right? That yeah. so many of our uh, school districts, I think, I think out of the 500 school districts in PA, maybe one or two don't use the Danielson as the yeah, I I don't know. I I have no uh, insight into that statistic, but it strikes me as you know, based on my anecdotal experience, it strikes me as being about right. Um, I think it has become ubiquitous. I mean, I think again, the thing that I I I always find challenging about this is even even though I think it's a good first step for principals to use this as it breaks things down into categories that they can attend to and and gives them some criteria for understanding that in the context of NGSS. Um, I mean, it's still, if, if, you know, nothing else, it still frames things in a very cognitive way, right? Yeah. Demonstrating knowledge of students, setting obstru- uh, uh, instructional objectives, de- demonstrating knowledge of resources, right? And, um, you know, it, it, it does the, the classic sort of 
cognitive thing of breaking things into into subcategories, right? Like into essentially variables. And then like you're saying, giving it ratings from, I, I'm sure there are things below proficient, but proficient and distinguished. And um, so I think that the that's the only not the only, but one of the issues that I worry about with using this as a baby step is it does point to that same model, right? Which is, you know, the model of learning and the model of the way that we think about teaching and learning applies to teachers and to students. And yeah. so if we're, we're using that model in places, then it, it's going to have impact. So um, I, I think it'd be interesting to see what a more um, asset-based and sociocultural version of this would look like. Like, how would you go in and talk about what a, t what a, a principal might observe for given um, that they were focused more on practice? Because we like to talk about practice. We do <laughs> we like to talk about practice. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, recently had someone who listens to the show say that, like say, practice. Practice. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it, it is a, a pretty uh, radical change for maybe how some our school leaders are used to. And, and let's and let's face it, there's uh, and it, I know this is going to be a sweeping generalization. And I, I get that. But most of most school leaders don't have backgrounds in science. They're coming from other content areas. Um, and and I don't know what the reasoning for that is, but they're often coming from you know other content areas for whatever reason. And yeah. so um, they don't have the in-depth science background that a science teacher would have. And so when yeah. they come in, they're maybe relying on other things, you know, other aspects of, you know, and, and we know that, you know, teaching science is different than teaching some other content areas. Sure. And, and so, um, and I think it, you know, it comes down you know, epistemologically, right. To how like they mm, view, mm. you know, and you know, this, the funny part is, is when I first heard that term in, do in my doctoral classes of epistemology, I was like, ah, when am I yeah, going to fancy what, word? Bah, bah, when am <laughs> I ever going to need to know that? But when, when would I, re I get to use that? But I, so much of it applies to all of it, right. It's like right. how people see the world and how knowledge is created is pretty critical to like how they approach things. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that is, you know, it's everywhere. It is everywhere and even yeah. more so now than it was 15 years ago when i first heard the term yeah. and i'm like wow it is everything yeah. well me not everything but it's a lot of things no but it's it, but it has become i mean I, to your point i think especially in the last 10 years as we've seen the sort of ballooning of epistemic as a term that gets attached to everything right like epistemology is has at least in science education it's moved from philosophy into the mainstream educational research language now that people talk about. And I think many people not necessarily knowing exactly what it means. And I'm, I don't purport to know exactly what it means. I'm not a philosopher. I don't have a background in philosophy. So I, I know what I know of epistemology and epistemics from my work in science education. But, um, but yeah, it does seem like um, that that has exploded onto the scene of late. Um, but I think, you know, going back to this idea of what does that mean for principals? I think one of the things that it means is, um, that they have to think not just about the walkthrough, but a broader sense of how are you going to prepare yourself to understand good science instruction? And what that means is a couple of things. One, probably going to need to spend more time in individual classrooms, at least right. in the beginning, 
um, to understand how these things are meant to look. Um, and the other thing that, you know, the, the, um, the STEM teaching tool recommends around this. So there, you know, we've talked about these before too, but the, the, um, the STEM teaching tools from the, the research practice, um, collaboratory, um, Phil Bell and Bill Penuel, um, and we can put this in show notes too, but one of the things they talk about is PLCs and you, principals thinking about PLCs in two ways. And I like this. So one is having their own PLC. So having principals engage around uh, professional learning in science together. So whether that's building principals across um, a district or within a school, if, you, if you've got a big school, like a big high school where you've got multiple folks, um, but also engaging with the teacher's PLCs. So going to the teacher's PLCs and yeah. listening to them as they're grappling with like, well, you know, what does it mean to do... Um, this kind of phenomenon driven teaching and how do we, how do we support these kinds of kids? You know, what are we going to do about emerging bilingual kids in our class? And what are, you know, how are we going to work on assessment? Like what is assessment going to look like? And how do we think about that, especially across multiple teachers in the same grade and all this stuff, like they're real important problems of practice that come along with these changes in teaching. And as a building leader, being in those rooms and listening to that talk can help you understand um, both how to evaluate your teachers and also the kind of struggles that they're going through and how you can best support them to, to do that difficult work. I was just thinking a little bit about like how you, you talked about that they, ha- they need to spend a little bit more time in the, in the classrooms and, yeah. you know, and when they do these walkthroughs, even if they stay for a whole, you know, class, if they stay for a you know, whole class lesson or, you know, what, how much of, you know, this, learning cycle they're going to really watch or be able mm-hmm. to see and because you know one of the things that you know the these this pedagogy these strategies really lean on is that these develop over long periods of time and that mm-hmm. what we do is we're creating you know some sort of phenomenon and the students are developing explanations and then testing those explanations and then through discourse and through, you know, experimentation and all this, then they're coming up to, you know, conclusions that are based on evidence and explanations that are based on evidence. If they come in and watch like one part of that cycle, they may have a very distorted view of what students are learning because they might Mm -hmm. be in coming and saying, well, all I saw were these kids coming up with these you know, these crazy ideas, these wacky ideas about what was going on about this thing. And I didn't even know what the thing was because that was two or three days ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and I like, and that's what science is. And they're like, that, that has nothing to do with like, you know, the science standards, the science standard says the student should be, you know, learning Learning the the atomic model. Right. And it's like, well, hold on. That doesn't like, how's this is playtime, you know? And and I worry about that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really important and difficult point that I think um, the idea that principals are going to have to get used to coming into rooms and hearing kids saying things that are not right. <laughs> right. I mean, and and maybe more importantly, saying things that are, quote unquote, not right. And the teacher's not correcting them. The right. teacher's not saying, no, Ollie, that's not correct. This is correct. Well, it's so, it's kind of like if you like watched five minutes of a movie, right? Let's say like you watch a two hour movie, like you have a two hour yeah. movie and you pick like a five minutes in the middle and you're going to watch yeah. that five minutes. And then you're going to be like, well, this is what the movie's about. It's like, no, hold on. You're no. just taking five minutes of that movie. Yeah. And, and it could be like some part that really is just, you know, 
a minor part of the huge narrative that's occurring over the course of this that right. that lesson that you know activity the whole semester yeah i mean i was just imagining doing that with everything everywhere all at once so a film that we both love oh, yeah. and you recommended like can you imagine picking a random five, five minutes in the middle of that movie yeah like, that, that you, movie's about you know fighting with you know i don't know Right. Yes. With a, with a uh, what, what are those called? Fanny pack. Yes. <laughs> fanny, fanny pack fanny battle. Packs. Yeah, that's what this all, all the in movies a, In about. an office with a bunch of security guards. Yes, like, that's what, what the movie's about. Yeah, it's like, hold on. I, I, who would want to see that? No one. Kung, Kung Fu in the office. That's what this movie's about? Yeah. No. <laughs> all right. No, okay. it's, oh, it's about a laundromat, you know? Yeah, that, that's that right. Would, it's about yeah. a laundromat. It's about, yeah. you know, balloons in a laundromat. Right. Okay. It's yeah. about pe- people with giant hot dog fingers. What? Yes. That's right. But but again, those are just like these little slices of that movie that out of context sound preposterous. Yeah. But it's only understanding the entire narrative of that movie that it makes sense. And yeah. so if we're going to have school leaders just based on the fact that they're busy people and they're yeah. usually observing, you know, hundreds of teachers, mm-hmm. you know, and they have to do these observations and they have to do it in a, a you know, some sort of timely way you know they're going to come in and maybe spend 40 minutes and and if they're going to see that lesson out of context then they have to have a better sense of you know how to how to anchor that to the overall narrative yeah yeah and i think that idea of like trying to understand it as um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the right way to think about it is understanding a conversation. So, you yeah. know, you were talking about it like a movie, but maybe if, if what principals could do is think about, look, so what science class is and should be is a long conversation. It's a long conversation between 20-ish, 25-ish people um, who are trying to figure something out together. And, and what you're doing is coming in on a particular day. And on that particular day, there are going to be pieces of that explanation that they understand. And there are pieces of it they don't understand. And there, and there are people in that room who understand it to different degrees, because that's the nature of human communities, right? Is that not everybody's on the same page all the time. And so your job as a principal is to just um, get a handle on, on, the practice of what's going on there, not the, not focus on the content. Is it right? Is it wrong? But are the practices, are the things that you're seeing in terms of what kids are doing and what the teacher is doing, um, are those things productive and are those things aligned with notions of what science is, um, so I think, you know, again, we're talking about the Danielson versus, an alternative, like that's, that's one of the things to think about when you, if you're, if you were to organize a, an observational protocol around practice instead of knowledge, yeah, right. I mean, it's very difficult and you can hear it even in the way that they talk about the framework, right? They, they don't say, does the teacher have knowledge of resources? Cause there's no way to know that. Yeah. So what they say is demonstrating knowledge of resources. So they're trying, they're trying in a sneaky way to, to say practice, but they don't want to say practice because they say practice is based on knowledge. Well, okay. But what we're really looking at is practice. Do the teachers, you know, can they engage in, in the kinds of teaching practices that support kids doing investigations of, of science? Um, that's what you're really looking for. And yeah, I think, I think it, it really is an interesting challenge because, um, because those observers who have such power, right. Um, really need to understand the context that 
I guess you could say they're trying to support and develop in their schools, right? If, if they're trying to be a standards aligned school, which I think all principals sure. and superintendents would say they are right. They're not, they want to be aligned with the standard. They, they, if for no other reason, then they feel like that's the law of the land and that's their job is to maintain that in their schools. But some of them, I think probably philosophically believe in these things too. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, it's a, it's a, a big challenge and and they have to understand that if they can't do that they become a barrier to the implementation of this kind of of uh interesting science teaching right they they become a ch- a challenge that has to be then overcome or or uh skirted around i think one of the other things that we need to help school leaders is you know that the, the supervision model that they they use um so i went through a supervisory program years ago because that was at one point what i thought you know what i I wanted to be when i grew up yeah (laughs) a science supervisor for a district and you sort of do some of that so i'm sure it was useful for you yeah it was absolutely useful and um they they talk about in in a clinical supervision model um that you do a pre-observation conference a post-observation conference and usually there's some sort of you know, negotiation with the person being observed. So, you know, what are some of the things that they want to look for and how they want to, um, how they want that to happen, right? So there's a conversation. Um, and I think that one of the tools we could be providing the school leaders is to better understand that conversation that you, they should be having with the, the person being observed. It's like, okay, so where, where are, where are, are the students coming from before this observed lesson? Like, what are the things lead? lead tell me the story that's happening before this lesson, you know, and, and what are the things I should be looking for while I'm there? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what are some of the markers? Because it's, it shouldn't just be, you know, this, I'm coming in with this, you know, these metrics, right. Of like, metrics. You know, I mean, well, the, 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 I, I don't know, they've put sort of standardized these look for us, especially from, um, you know, these different, you know, I'm, I'm going to call them traveling medicine shows, but they mm-hmm. kind of are like these, you know, I, we can change, you know, the success of your schools if they do these things, right? Like right. one of the big ones that, you know, from a couple of decades ago was the learning focus schools, which sort of mm-hmm. took over central Pennsylvania, yep. Yep. you know, probably like 15, 20 years ago. Um, it was the thing and it pretty much standardized all of the observations and all of the protocols that, you know, school leaders were using. And those that I don't know if those are going to be helpful in in helping a school leader walk into a science classroom that's, you know, really implementing this type of pedagogy. Yeah. And that that brings up an interesting question, which sort of is a for me, a fundamental. I don't know what we're talking about here, principle or something of that 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 underlies this question about about what to do with school leaders and how they work about it, which which is. what is the like? What is the underlying principle for all this? And this is a different kind of principle than the principle. It's not the pal. Oh, look at us! Mm, that mm, ooh, mm, mm, that is you and I spending way too much time together. Principle, principal. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And now I've lost what the principle was. But There's an underlying been. principle that I know. And now I'll think of what it is. But um. But the. What were you just talking about? Tell me what you're just well, talking about. Well, I was about talking about the learning focus schools. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. You know, clinical so, supervision models. And so the question is that I think principals and school leaders have to ask themselves is what 
should be standardized because I understand that things need to be, you want consistency. Um, you want, um, you want things to be consistent in certain ways, but the question is, what do you want to be consistent? And, and the way the pendulum swung during those like learning focused schools was everything, everything, everything. So I, you and I use the same PowerPoint. You and I speak the same words when the PowerPoint's on the, on the screen. You use the same and assessments. You have yes, the same words the on the wall. Students use all same the same questions, the same everything. Right. And, and that, like, when, when you think of human beings, it immediately it should be clear to you why that model makes no sense at all. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense even in, in um, you know, one school, much less across every classroom in every school that you have in your district or for, for, for that States. matter in the state or the United yeah. States, like that's crazy. Like the kids in, in New Mexico are not the same kids as the kids in central Pennsylvania. And, and if you assume that that's true, then, then you really um, don't understand the way the world works. Right. And I'm not, this is not a, um, you know, we're, we're not going down the, the sort of equity um path, which I think is an important path. We could always go down that path, right? Yeah. But I think what we're talking about here is that, you know, people are different and classrooms should be responsive to that. Broadly speaking, right? Classrooms should be responsive to the fact that kids are different. Adults are different. Schools are different. Communities are different. And if we standardize that rigidly, you're doing almost every, if not every community, a disservice. Um, so this, so the question is, what do you standardize around? And the answer often is, uh, you know, again, not well received because it's not as rigid, right? Um, which is that you standardize around good practice, but practice is much harder to put into bins, right? But this goes back to one of our fundamental themes, right? When the, when the tool that you're using or the description of the thing becomes the thing and you apply it in, a, in an unthoughtful way, then what you've essentially done is taken a practice and I'm going to use a fancy word here, reified it into yeah. a set of a, like a bulleted list. And now that you've denuded the practice of its meaning by turning it into a bulleted list. And that is a pattern that we see in what we talk about all the time, the scientific method you know, emotional intelligence, uh, multiple intelligences, whatever, like there's all these things that we've talked about on this, on this show where the thing was turned into a list and then the list, the list became, became the, thing. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It happens over and over and over. But I think that what it does is a, I don't know if it's like sinister. I think no, it's really just people's, people's desire to make order of the world. It's a complex, complicated world and people are just trying to, you know, find their way. And whenever somebody proposes something that is, you know, a better way of, I don't know, making it less complicated, less complex, we, we, you know, gravitate to that. Like, you know, we could talk about the SAMR model for, you know, technology integration, which, you know, every time I, you know, you talk about the SAMR model, I get a little bit of a, you know, a little yeah, in the back yeah, of my yeah, throat. Yeah, mm. yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh. But, you know, but that's the thing is that it happens over and over. So I, I don't know. I, I think some of the things that teacher uh, principals should be looking for if they're walking in the classrooms, and is, you know, seeing students engaging in conversations and developing explanations and modeling things based on, you know, experiences. They should be engaging with some sort of phenomenon that, you know, is, 
is relevant to something in their life and something that they can find interesting. And they're, you know, uh, they should be discussing things and developing explanations. And that is going to be something that's going to really, I don't want to say undermine some of the standardization, but it's certainly going to disrupt it. Yeah. Um, and because if this conversation, if this classroom's conversation is around these types of things, because those are the things that the students are proposing as an explanation, that's going to look different than the next door over, you yeah. know, or even the next period over, you know, yeah. even if it's the same teacher engaging with in this, I don't know, same, you know, class, but with different students, yeah. those conversations can happen very differently. And while we want them to, you know, get to some, you know, normative science explanation and trying to scaffold them to, to that, we also recognize that that pathway may be very different for different classes. Mm-hmm. And that in, in itself is going to involve, you know, maybe different assessments, different play. Students are going to be in different places on different days. So they're yeah. going to be like, hey, you know, your third period class is doing this today and your fourth period class is doing this. This is very different. Mm-hmm. You no, know, how can, you know, and, and that's going to be uncomfortable, not only for the principals, but also for the parents and for the students. And, you know, yeah, I have yeah. I, my twins. I like a parent who's like, I have twins. I have two twin, you know, children that one is in period three Dr. McDonald's yeah. class and one of them in the period four Dr. McDonald's class and they're doing very totally different, different things. things. How's this happening? Yeah. You know, it's well it's mayhem. It's mayhem, you know? Yeah. Well, but I think, you know, going back to your first point, one thing I would say, you know, it, it, to, because to, to, as you were talking, I thought of an example of a way to think about something they could look for. So you, you were talking about listening for explanations and and paying attention to kids uh, talking about their ideas. And I think one way to focus that even potentially more specifically is to say you, what you don't, what you don't care if you hear, if you're in a science classroom and you're observing is if there is, if everything spoken is correct, right? You don't care what you want. What you do care about is regardless of whether somebody says something correct or not, are people asking them questions about that idea to, to push it? right? That's what you want to know. And sometimes that'll be the teacher and sometimes that'll be other kids. But the point is what you, that if you had one fundamental thing to look for in a science classroom, whenever anybody has an idea about the thing we're trying to understand, you want other people asking them questions about that idea or, you know, proposing counter, uh, ideas to that idea, but something so that you you're seeing ideas are constantly being pushed and challenged in this classroom to, to improve them, to say, Oh, I don't think that's right. Cause of this part of over here. Um, and that that's done without just, you know, ad hominem attacks, attacks, right? Like, um, you know, Ollie's an idiot and that's a dumb idea. <laughs> like that, that's not, that's not moving the, the discourse, which along. may be correct, but that's not helping. But, the but argument. it's, yeah. It may be an evidence-based claim, but it's it still <laughs> is irrelevant to the to the conversation you're having. Yes. <laughs> no. no. You dropped no. denude there a few minutes ago, and I, did I? I yeah, you did denude. Oh, denuded of its meaning. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's no, it's great. That, I was just yeah. like just wanted to cycle back and say props to you for yeah. dropping right. well, it. I, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't talk about reify. I just. I just left it. I. I warned people about it, but then yeah. I didn't really explain it. I just said, "Hey, yeah. look out! Big word coming." I. I do. I. I love the word reify. I mean, if I were to, you know, mm-hmm. it could be a joy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. You know. You know a word that I know you love that I haven't heard you use on this podcast, which is 
fallibilism. Uh, no, it's filial pietism, the overall veneration of of tradition. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Yeah, see, I can't even remember the right word. Yeah, I I have trouble. Well, I have trouble pronouncing most words, (laughs) (laughs) even words I know, even even words that are your favorites. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it's not what it's filio, filio, what was it? Uh, uh, I'll have to. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. You know? Yeah. I feel, I feel like, uh, at some point you shared that word with me and, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're getting distracted. We are down. way off track. All right. So, so, so let's talk about, uh, um, filiopietism. Yeah. I did. I was that pronounced correctly of, or I believe so of, or relating to an often excessive veneration of ancestors or tradition. Yes. I mean, it, it actually fits that. That could be the title of the episode. Oh, wow. I would that? love, I would love that. That would make yeah, me happy. Okay. I'm going right. to write that down. Write it down. Well, what is it? It's up. It's a 93. So you get to name this episode. I do. So there you go. Yeah. So you can name it. Congratulations. See, now everyone knows the, the system. Well, but, but you know, they only know part of the system. Right. We have a very elaborate and sophisticated Ooh. system for this podcast. That is only one piece of the, the science in between system. production science. system. That's right. Behind Ooh. the scenes. Yeah. Be- don't, don't uncover too much. They're, the mystery. No, you do not. It's like lifting a log in a forest. You do not want to look under there. See no. what's going on. Wow. Very, yeah. I've never heard you say that metaphor. Lift a log in the forest. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, there's lots of stuff under there and most of it you don't want to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Decaying stuff. And yeah. And oof. all sorts of wiggly. Yeah. Wiggly see, things. Let's stop talking about it because, because yeah. nobody wants to see under there. Yeah. Instead, right. let's talk about joys. Joys. Do you uh, have do you a joy? Have, do you have I, a joy? I, I always have a choice. I know you do. You do. Here's, that was here. sort of a softball. I put it out there for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I just try to, you know, find joy in the world around me. Well, I will say this. One of the things that, you know, I always forget um, how much I enjoy this American life. Mm. You know, it's one of those, it's been around forever, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, it's, it's a, it's a podcast that is on, uh, you know, it gets produced by NPR. It's out there. You can listen to it on NPR, but it's also available in podcast form. And, you know, it's, it's long form podcast. So, you know, there's a lot, there's, you know, these other podcasts that are like, like the memory palace. This is like mm. 10, 15 minutes, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, I love that podcast, but it's just, you know, in a lot of ways that this American life kind of set the standard for this type of storytelling, because, you know, you have these, um, each episode is kind of grouped around by something that they find, you know, some common thread. And it might be a loose thread or it could mm-hmm. be, hey, we're going to like dig in and do, you know, like all the people who stop at this truck stop on a highway. Right. You know? They yeah. did that episode. And there's so many really good episodes. The car sales episode. That yeah. My there's mm-hmm. just so many good ones. And, you know, I always forget how much I enjoy it because it shows up on my podcast feed and I'll be like, oh, you know what? I'll do this one instead. I'll do this one. But then when I, it's like you, you forget how, you know, it's a place of comfort for me. If I go back there and I go like this, yeah. you know, just recently I listened to, you know, like two or three episodes in a row and they were all awesome. Mm. And, you know, it's just, it, I, I just forget because I get, 
you know, distracted by the new shiny ones, you know, like, oh, yes. hey, this one, this is this is some new one that's just, uh, and you get, co- I get constant recommendations from people about, hey, are you listening to this? Hey, are you listening to this? And so yeah. those come and bubble to the top. And then I almost have to like go back and say, you know, I just listen to a, this American life today. And every time I do that, I go, yeah, that was worth my time. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. I, I had the pleasure of, of seeing Ira Glass speak live once. Um, it was actually up in Chautauqua and, uh, and he, it was phenomenal. He was, he's wow, a fascinating, awesome. fascinating dude. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's actually, uh, we've talked about against the rules and there's an against the rules episode where, he talks with Ira Glass, or maybe it was a different, it was in the, in that feed, but wasn't the, part of the podcast. The Pushkin industry podcast. Yes. The beast that, yeah, I try to delete those ones, but when it was Ira Glass, I'm like, I feel like I should listen to that. And it was, it was interesting though. I think um, he's done cause he's now, because he's such a podcasting legend, he, he um, uh, does like a, a thing where he's got sort of a, a, patter a talk about how he developed as a as a radio producer and yeah. how terrible he was in the beginning and how he grew into this you know sort of masterful dude but yeah but yeah our glass yeah. yeah well i'll uh i'll stick with uh i'll stick with podcasts since uh i, I don't think i've recommended a podcast in a while and um and this one is uh uh, a po- I like design podcasts. So 99% invisible obviously is a classic. That's awesome. Um, and, and we've recommended it on this show, but there is um, another show called nice try um, with Avery Truffleman, who I believe worked with 99 yeah. or on 99% or maybe still does work on 99% invisible. But, um, but the, the idea of nice try is that they take um, or she takes uh, like, she's had different seasons. So there was one that was all about towns. Um, but the, the season two, which just finished, I think season three just started and I haven't seen that yet, but season two is all about sort of ordinary household things and sort of the history and design of those things. So she, a couple of them are like the doorbell, the crock pot, the vacuum. Oh, that sounds cool. And she puts them into like the social and political context of their time to sort of explain like, well, why were these things developed when they, were and how do they fit into sort of the national zeitgeist at the time but um and she's smart and funny and it's it's a really interesting show so um i think season three the reason i'm bringing it up is because um season three just started the first one's called are you sleeping so it's something about sleep so i don't know what the new pattern um like the new season is about but um but she did the mattress in in the last season and so she talked about some sleep in that um, so maybe it's, maybe that's some sort of new, uh, well, I'm sure it's some sort of new theme, but every season they pick a theme and then they do, um, topics on that theme, but it's, it's a great show. And I, I, um, uh, it's, it's definitely a 99% invisibly sort of show, but, uh, but it's got her, her sort of point of view. Um, yeah, yeah. it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good recommendation. Cause I'll check yeah. that out. Cause I'm a big 99% invisible fan. Yeah, you, yeah. You, how can you not be? I mean, Roman Mars, his voice is like yeah. it's like butter. Yeah, we will never awesome. ha- we will never be Roman Mars' voice. <laughs> no. No way. <laughs> even even if we fix the tinny audio problem, we're still gonna be <laughs> um, just you and me. Yeah, yeah. Just Scott and Ollie. Just Scott and Ollie on um, uh, science, science in between. Yeah, catch you next time. In between. See that. Bye now. <laughs>